Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It's your boy, Swizzy, and I got the episode 68 of the State of the New York Knicks podcast. I got a special guest in the building, the myth, the man, the legend, the go podcaster for Knicks Nation, Mr. Jonathan Macri. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I don't know about all that. Um, <laughs> but I, listen, I'll take I'll take any kind words I can get. I, I appreciate the warm introduction. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that um, I feel like it's it, it, it's become tougher and tougher to, to talk about this team in a, oh, in a okay. way that that doesn't make you like want to, you know, put your head through a, a, a glass window. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to, to chatting you for a bit. Uh, all right, man. Well, I, I honestly I wanted to talk about the game yesterday, but I feel okay. like you know we we it's enough talk about that. It, it's five specific things I wanted to throw at you this evening. That's go been, for it. That's been bothering me. So the first thing, my brother, Kevin Knox. Now, what the hell is going on with Kevin Knox, Mister Macri? If, is it is it Marcus Morris? Is he in the way? Is Bobby Portis just in the way? Is Kevin Knox a four? Is he a three? Is his foot speed too slow? What the hell is going on? Please. I mean, you just you just hit a lot of things that I think um, are definitely part of the Kevin Knox conversation. I mean, I, you know, I think it's interesting because you. With everything with this team, I always try to think like big picture, and and it's always a an interesting like thing for me because I I try to like yes, you want to focus on individual things, but at the same time, I feel like we're I've kind of become trained to always always be thinking: are there are there larger questions we should be asking about stuff? Are there like larger themes at play? And what I mean by that with Kevin Knox is I look at him. And I look at some of the things he's able to do, you know, last night against Golden State, we saw he had two really nice blocks. Hell that, yeah. Yeah, no, and they were, and it's like blocks are deceiving, but at the same time, the, the blocks that he made, you can't do those if you don't have some kind of defensive awareness, like instinct, obviously takes physical ability. Um, I know he's in a bit of a shooting slump right now, but I, I still believe in the shot. And I just look at him and I ask myself, like, if he was in a different situation, um, where, you know, he was on a team that had somebody who could break down a defense and maybe get him the ball in more open spots. Um, would he be doing better? Um, if, if he was in, you know, let's say a system where he could play more for, um, but it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't necessarily hurt the team in other aspects of defense. It's like these are all questions that I, I kind of ask myself when I when I look at Kevin Knox's development because I think I see the same signs that a lot of people see, like here and there, but it's just it's not nearly consistent enough. What I will say is I'm not like there are people who are already kind of giving up on him. I think yeah. I still think that's nuts. I mean, the kid's 20 years old. He's played crazy. Yeah, he's played a total. Of, I mean, I think if you if you count the games he was injured last year, he's played something like what, about 90 games in his career so far? Um, yeah. I do think, though, that from now until the end of this year is going to be very revealing in terms of, like, what is he going to be, you know, eventually as a player. I think we need to see some signs. Um, yeah. 
and I, in terms of Marcus Morris, which, you know, maybe we'll get into him at some point. Um, yes, we will. I like, I love Marcus Morris being here because I think he's a very positive um, effect on the locker room. I was getting into it with some, some people on Twitter today about like, do you trade him right away or do you wait? Um, but at the same time, like they've played Knox at uh, the four for a total of 30 possessions so far. Uh, I, I think going, going into last night, that, that was, I don't think cleaning the glass had updated their stats. Like y- you got to put him there more. And that doesn't fall on yeah. That doesn't fall on Morris, you know. Necessarily, it falls on the fact that they have not to go back to the the joke of the summer, but you know they have a lot of they have maybe a lot of guys that need time at the four. Um, <laughs> I just don't think maybe. I think what's what what has been revealed to us over the the course of the season is that he really is at this point more comfortable. I think um, defending bigger guys. So what do they do? I mean, look. At some, they're gonna they're gonna make a move at some point, um, and it'll open up time for him. So I, I, I'm not I'm not worried worried yet, but you can't you can't feel good about what you're seeing. I, and you know what's crazy? How we how we how you're talking about Kevin Knox, and you know he got to guard bigger guys. I definitely agree. That's been my gripe about him. And Bobby Portis, I feel like it's either he's in the way. Or see the Morris in the way because those fifteen to twenty shots that they're taking, I'd rather those just get spread it out between the kids. I, I just for me personally, I just feel like a team that's just five and nineteen, five and twenty. I think you would want to prioritize guys you drafted out of guys that's on one year deals. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, the next guy I want to talk about. Alonzo Trier, and I've been talking to people today, and people have been really coming at me about Carl Anthony Towns, and should we put a trade package together with Towns, and for, for Towns with Mitch and Dodson and Trier, and I'm like, how can we even play Trier when Dodson's the better defender, and we need more ball handlers, and then it also ties into Knox, whereas Knox doesn't have the proper point guard, a, a pace and space point guard, honestly, to get him the ball. So, what do you? What's the chances you think of Trey becoming a trade piece? Um, this upcoming trade deadline, because if you want to trade Morris, obviously the team will want a young asset attached to Morris if we want a first round pick back. So. What do you think the chances on that? Um, we so you brought up a couple of different things. I I don't think there's any chance that um, Towns is going to hit the trade market anytime soon. I think things have been going well enough in in Minnesota that even if he asked out, uh, I don't I don't even think that would that would do it. I just think he's you know they're winning enough, and um, you know yeah. I think there's some uncertainty right now around the league in terms of whether or not they are going to be buyers or sellers around the deadline. I mean, they, they're playing, they're essentially starting, you know, no point guard right now. Um, <laughs> nope. Yeah. So it's like they, they might need someone. I don't, I don't know if they're going to find any answers here um, in terms of Trier. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but I, I just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that anybody is going to see him as anything more than like 
all right, we need some extra salary in the deal. We could do worse than taking a chance on Trier because I think everybody knows what he is at this point, which is a guy who's a fantastic isolation scorer um, that you really are going to have trouble leaving on the floor because of just uh-huh. how inconsistent he is on defense. And I, 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 again, it's not that he's the only one on this team, which is why I think the question of whether he should be getting time on this particular roster, like I personally, I'm, I'm, I am like, I'm not for that because I think there is a difference between guys who have weaknesses on D and there, and guys who come out and there's just a very clear lack of urgency, a lack of, I don't want to say lack of effort because I never want to imply that a guy isn't trying but yeah, there's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's effort. With no, that. it's it's not. But like, there's something missing there when he and and look, that's not to say that there isn't something missing with like Kevin Knox on defense, um, too. But the the difference is that one of those guys, I think, is it's right now it's a skill slash mental thing, and another guy, you know, with Trier, I just, I don't know, I just, it's not getting better, um, and I don't sense it ever getting better. The point of all that is. I just don't know that anyone is going to look at him and be like, "Oh, I want to get that guy in my roster and get him in our program and see what I could mm-hmm. see what I could turn him into." Because the other part about Trier that we like to kind of gloss over is he's already twenty three years old. So th- yeah. this kind of probably is what he is as a as a player. Um, in terms of in terms of Morris and like what he'll get and like what what that trade might look like, um, I. You know, I've just I've read everything that everybody else has seen on the internet over the last couple of days in terms of different opinions about what he might be worth, what he might fetch in a trade. Um, if you look back to last year, um, which was, I mean, this this draft is looked at as a weak draft. Last year was similarly looked at as a weak draft, um, and still, mm. like teams weren't trading first round picks unless they were sending some not great money back in, in the deal. Um, yep. So, you know, I, I don't know what, I mean, you know, I, I, I'll have something coming out in probably the next couple next week or two about some possible Morris deals. I think they could find a first, I don't know what they're going to take back, but in terms of like, whether I could see, you know, Dotson is a different story. I could see some team actually valuing Dotson, but then again, Dotson's a guy that yep. I don't want to give up. I like Dotson. I've, I've, me. I've always liked Dotson more than most people. I don't know what it is that I'm seeing. He just, I don't know. He just strikes me as a guy that you're will do better, the better the team is around him. And I'm, I'm not sure that I could say the same thing about Trier. Trier kind of is what he is. Um, and, and again, that's not to say that he couldn't potentially help this team you know, in certain situations, but I, I just, that's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. Most, most definitely. Um, well, we got to the two young guys. Now I want to get into Marcus Morris. Um, Marcus Morris came out today and he basically said he doesn't want to get traded. And it's tough for me because like I said, once again, the amount of shots he's taken, I wish his shots would get spreaded around between Kevin Knox and the other young guys. And it's just counterproductive to me to just keep him on a team that's just not going anywhere. 
But at the same time, you do need adults in the locker room and you need guys who can produce on the floor. Unlike Lance Thomas, who was an adult in the locker room who couldn't produce on the floor. So his leadership, it just really wasn't there. Um, what? Are, how are you feeling about Marcus Morris and Julius Randle? And do we have to trade one or do we have to trade both? Because I know Bobby Portis is definitely definitely should be moved, but mainly about Julius Randle and Marcus Morris. Who do you see getting moved before the trade deadline out of the Um I, I don't see any any way they Well, because it it's like all of this is connected, right? Because yeah. if we're talking about Julius Randle and they look to move Julius Randle, um, you know, they're like no one I don't personally I don't think anyone's even going to give up uh, like a first for him because he's kind of a, he's kind of a, a, he's an imperfect fit um, in that, you know, in in that, you know, Morris, it's like Julius Randle's game is such that the way he plays, he needs to be 15 to 20% better than he is for that style of play to be effective and and part and parcel with that is what he does slash doesn't always bring on the defensive end it's like if you're going to live with a guy who is a liability on defense which and and i think he's been trying harder i think he's been doing better on his rotations of late but he you know i mean i i've clipped a bunch of stuff in my newsletter all year long about him just like falling asleep on defense or just not making the right rotation or the quickest rotation and like that stuff is going to happen and when you get into a high level playoff series teams will teams will exploit that so he yes. he doesn't have the type of offensive game where a team is going to look at him and be like all right we're going to go we're, you know it's it's worth it for us to to take what you're looking at on d and, and deal with that because we're getting you know xyz on offense cuz he's just not that, that type of player on offense he's like honestly a glorified six man um, which is, I think, what a really good team would use him as. And I just don't think any team is going to pay a premium, especially since I don't think anyone's going to um, look at him as like a difference maker, as opposed to Morris, who you could look at almost any contender and say, all right, there's a guy who's going to play 25 minutes a night for us in the highest level leverage of situations. So yes. the reason I just wanted to go through all that is because, well, if, if Randall is not going to get you a significant return, and I, again, I don't think he is, then if the front office just went to the owner, whatever it is, five months ago or six months ago, and said, this is the guy that, this is our prize. Like, we didn't get Durant, we didn't get Kyrie, but this is, this is like really, this is good. This is like, this guy's like 90% of like those guys. And you know what? I bet you they could have sold that to James Dolan because if you look at Randall's numbers last year, he put up 21 and eight, he put up 25 and, yeah. and 10 for 36 minutes. Um, so it's like, it's, I think they made that argument. So they're not going to now turn around and basically seal their own fate. Um, now, if you're telling me that like one or both of those guys is not in uh, power to make decisions, uh, and maybe Alan Houston is making decisions sooner rather than later, which is a, something that we kind of a crazy theory that we floated. Um, me and, and the posting and toasting guys. That's a different. Yes, I definitely listened to that. Yeah, that's a, that's a different story. But assuming that that's not the case, and I think we should assume that that isn't the case right now. Randall's not going anywhere. So then you look at okay, Portis. Um, 
and Marcus Morris. Could a team value Portis's game? Yeah, sure. But again, if you're talking about a good organization that fancies itself a contender, those types of organizations know that first-round picks are incredibly valuable, either as you know trade chips later on or, or guys to bring in and develop. Like Good teams know how to develop guys that they take late in the first round. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at a guy like Portis, who again – is the type of player that if you get into a high level playoff series is going to be exploited probably. Um, even though I think he's actually made some nice strides on defense this year. I don't see anybody yeah. giving up a first round pick for him. And because of that, I just, I don't see this front office giving up on him. So then it gets us back to Morris and the things that you brought up before, which are like, what is the value of what he brings to the locker room versus basically a guaranteed first round pick. And then you, and then you add into it the conversation, which is a really interesting conversation of what is his value on the floor mm-hmm. in terms of, on one hand, like you said, and I completely agree with you, Marcus Morris is taking, I mean, I haven't looked at this um, lately, but I imagine it's somewhere around 16 or 17 shots a game. Uh, yep. And it's not like, it's not like, the, I mean, I know he's shooting whatever 48% from deep, it's not like those shots that he's taking are opening up the offense for other players. Um, I still think teams are more or less content to kind of let yep. him shoot. Um, mm-hmm. not, not as much as they were, but the point is he's not someone on offense that's like moving all over the place. And if you take out of the equation, he's going to like completely change everything you're doing. I think where his loss would hurt more is on the defensive end. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what's the value of that? What's the value if, if, if guys have one less dependable defender to be on the floor with at the same time. And to me, that's actually like not the easiest answer because if you got guys like Mitch and RJ Mm -hmm. who have real ability as defenders to say nothing of like Frank and Dotson, like th- there's something to be said for putting those guys on the floor and, and telling them, look, you just do your job. If you do your job, we will be fine. Um, and th- that's all they have to worry about as opposed to worrying about, well, I have to do my job and I have to worry about cleaning up for somebody else's mess. So, you know, look, these are, I, I don't personally, I don't think there's like a right or a wrong answer to these questions. It's just, and it's, a, it's unique to each franchise too. It's like, what, you know, how, how big a value is there to, um, you know, getting a first round pick for the Knicks. Ultimately, I think the question, the answer is there is a high enough value that you do have to trade him. I just think it might be worth it to keep him around for maybe a little bit longer and to try to get as much as you can, because I, again, personally, I don't think the, what you're going to get for him on January 1st is going to be much different than what you're going to get from him on January 30th. Um, you know, I, I, if somebody blows them away with an offer, like by all means, but I do think, and I'm, I'm, I will stand by this. I think the minute he leaves this team, I think they will forget about playing worse basketball. That goes without saying. Um, I don't know. I'm afraid of what I'm afraid of what might happen because I really do think, based on everything that I've heard and, and read and seen, he is one of the forces kind of holding things together. Because like if you. The last thing I'll say on this, if you look at the locker room last night, there was a video of, of them giving, like, Mike Miller the game ball, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. This, like, I, people may, may hear this and be like, who gives a 
crap. Um, I think <laughs> no, but I think there's still value in the fact that this team is still clearly together. They're still clearly pulling for each other, despite the fact that there's very real issues in terms of guys taking shots that they're not supposed to be taking. Julius Randle taking you know shots at a double team. Same thing with RJ Barrett. But they haven't let go of the rope mm-hmm. yet. They're still together. They're still like you know. There's camaraderie there. I, I I have to think Marcus Morris has a lot to do with that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the one thing. If we trade him, we trade in the leader from the locker room, and we got too many kids that Taj Gibson should not be around by himself. It, yeah, but there's only so much that like. Look, I love Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson's awesome, but it's like kind of similar to the thing you, the point you made about Lance Thomas. It's like it it carries mm-hmm. a different weight when the guy who's the leader in the locker room is also a guy that everybody acknowledges is, if not the best player, then like one of. The very best players. It's just it's you know it's it's a louder voice, so to speak. Very loud, very loud. Before we get to the coach, the fourth thing on my list, this point guard situation. Oh goodness! Oh my <laughs> goodness, man! I think I think we have the worst collection of shooting point guards I've ever seen. I, 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 Frank Nelikina doesn't want to get in the paint. He played a horrible game yesterday. Right, I, horrible, worst worst horrible game he's God. played as a pro, I would argue. Oof, it, it was awful. And I, I'm a Frank supporter. And that game was awful. So shout out to Alfred Payton. But my beef, and I've been having this argument with people on Twitter for the past couple of days. I understand Alfred Payton has had Two solid games. I respect it. But we 5-19. and 19. I don't need to see Alfred Payton starting when we have Frank Nelikina. Although, his veteran leadership should be in the starting lineup. I understand it. I understand that he brings um, passing ability. He directs the offense. He, I remember one play yesterday where Julius Randle was trying to post up, and he told Julius Randle to get out the way, and he got the ball to Marcus Morris. So, thank God he did that. <laughs> but... What is the starting point guard of the future on the team right now? No. Which obviously don't think it is. Think he is, and if not, do you? What do you see is going to happen with this? Because my one theory that I got is Dennis Smith Jr. is looking bad. He he damn near looks unplayable. So for me, I would pay Frank four years, forty million, Oof. ten million per, and I would say, okay, we paying you the money to get better. You get better, Dennis Smith Jr. You find yourself a new situation, a smaller market where you could hide in the shadows like Markel Fultz and, and get your game better. And we just draft our point guard of the future, and I think we just move on from there. That's just me personally, uh- but. What do you see in this this point guard debacle? <laughs> it is it really is a debacle, unfortunately. I mean, look, Frank had the worst game of of the season and and maybe the worst game of his career last night. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat his his numbers because he's you know he's he's still whatever he is a 36 percent shooter and and that's never gonna be okay. And for for as much for as many signs as we've seen of him getting in the paint. Um, more this season, it still doesn't happen enough. Um, and it's still, I, the, the more that it doesn't happen, the more 
I think you have to put it on his shoulders as opposed to looking for, you know, can't, can't blame Fisdale anymore. Um, nope. You know, he, nope. he has, nope. he has the starting job. I think this is the type of like every time he takes it upon himself to get into the lane, that's more evidence that he, that is an option that he has when he wants yes. to take it. So I don't want to hear people be like, well, you know, it's because they're, they're running plays for other guys. Like, no, like guys, Nah, if nothing else, this offense has shown itself to be equal opportunity. If you want it, come and get it. Um, as long as Randall isn't like commandeering the offense, which you know, in fairness, he hasn't been doing as much of lately. Um, I I said, look, you know this. No one's a bigger Frank Milikina fan than me because I think there is immense value not only in what he does, um, mostly on defense, but in what he doesn't do. And I think there is a lot of value, in, especially in the modern game, to having someone on the floor that really literally doesn't care if they ever take a shot. Now, that said, you still need that player to be, A, willing to take a shot, and B, capable of making a shot every now and then. Um, so all of this is to say, I, given what we've seen so far, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how any team would be able to look at him and say that guy is our starting point guard for the next, you know, five to 10 years. That's, that's crazy. I mean, I, I'll, again, I love Frank, but the, it is, is he maybe a backup point guard? Is he someone who could be a starter um, alongside, you know, um, a couple other, another ball handler, another couple of ball handlers. Um, maybe if he, the shot continues to come around, I, I don't, I don't know. Four for 40 is a little bit too rich for my blood. Um, you want you want to tell me you want to tell me you're you're giving him a three year deal, um, you know, with uh, around I don't know five six million with like a third year very small partial guarantee. Um, I mean, you look at the deal that Utah gave Dante Exum. They gave him I think it's three for was it three for thirty or three for thirty six? Well, well, it was. Three for thirty-three. It was. It was. It's a listen. It's it's more than ten million dollars a year. Um, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure they're having buyer's remorse right now. And Dante Exum showed more signs, um, I think, through four years of his career or, or three years of his career than Frank has shown thus far. Um, yes. Regardless, I, I mean, I, I just I would be shocked if he was extended before next season, um, let alone whether or not he's even here. In terms of what to do for the rest of this year, again, everything, everything about this team from this day until the end of the, the season has to be about how do we get the most out of or, or put the guys that matter the most in the best situations. And that, you know, the Frank question is a really interesting one because it forces you to ask if he is not part of your long-term equation, at least in terms of like, we have to prioritize this. It, like you, I'm not saying bench him. I'm saying continue to play him 20, 25 minutes a night, maybe even continue to start him. But there's a difference between um, making decisions about what you do as a franchise based on somebody's development and just you know trying the best you can to just continue letting the guy sort out his issues on the floor. R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, and to a lesser extent Kevin Knox, are the guys that this team needs to be thinking about in, 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 in terms of everything that they do for the rest of this year. Um, for sure. So as crazy as it sounds, like this offense just 
like it hums um, a little bit more when Alfred Payton is in there, at least when Julius Randle's also on the floor, which again, I'll go back to what I said a few minutes ago. <laughs> this stuff is all connected, right? As long as Randall's yep. going to be a part of this team, which he is, and as long as Randall is going to be a significant part of this offense, which he is, then if he's going to be on the floor, if he's going to be starting, you want to get put him in the best situations because if you're putting him in good situations, that rubs off on the other guys on the floor. I think personally, I would not mind seeing a starting lineup featuring Peyton, um, RJ, um, Randall, and Mitch with that last spot. Like I, I think there's value with continuing to play RJ at the two, but at the same time, I also think that um, inserting Knox into that starting lineup would be, would be a little bit rough. So if you put in Dotson, Dotson's essentially your two and RJ is your three. Like, I, I don't know, but the idea of Elf and Randall together along with RJ and Mitch um, and then a shooter of some kind, whether it's Knox or Dotson or whoever, I, I, I'd, yep. I'd be curious to see that group. Um, you know, I, I, and again, this is assuming Marcus Morris gets moved because I, I don't, I don't think with Morris there, there's like quite enough movement. Although I'd be curious to see that too. In any case, that moves Frank to the bench (laughs) that, that, you know, and then maybe you you play Smith alongside Frank. I I just, you know, again, I'm just, I'm trying to get the guys that matter the most in the best situations possible. That's really all it comes down to. And if it means Alfred's going to start some games, you know, I know that's antithet- that to, to a lot of people that's antithetical to everything they want to do and people who just want to see all the kids on the floor at the same time and play them all 30 minutes a night. But I'm, I'm sorry, that's, you're not, that's not helping things. That's not helping development by just throwing all these kids out there and saying, okay, go, you know, go figure it out. You have to put them in situations to succeed. And yes, sometimes that means having, you know, Randall commandeer some shots because it takes some pressure off the other guys and it theoretically will open up different things on the offense. So um, it's all complicated, which is why, which is why this is a good transition to the last question, I think, which is why you need a coach who has some, some modicum of understanding (laughs) about this stuff and about offense and about development to be the guy in charge. So, Going right into the last segment, man. Right into the last segment. Who the hell is going to be the coach? Because I, I just read a tweet from, I think it was SNY, and it said the top three coaching candidates for the New York Knicks. That was from an athletic. So it was a, a shams. A sham, well, everybody picked up on the on the original report from Shams earlier today in which he said yeah. um, that, yeah, Miller, they're okay with Miller being the guy for the rest of the season. But if he falters, they're going to look to bring in either Van Gundy, Thibodeau, or, um, or Mark Jackson. And nope, nope, nope. With the, with the, but the, look, if you want to tell me that you think Jeff Van Gundy or Tom or Mark, I don't, I don't know how anybody could actually say this with a straight face, but if you want to tell me, you, you know, your organization thinks that those guys are, the 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 best possible candidates out there. No, that's ridiculous. One, two, they're the three guys who are conveniently available and would probably in 
crawl to New York for the chance to coach this team, even if they were starting to coach it in January or February. Um, mm-hmm. But the reasoning given was that they're they're like they want someone who could deal with the New York like atmosphere, the New York media, or like just New York in general, and like that's mm-hmm. that's like that's that's not. That's not why you make yeah. decisions. That's not what you make decisions based off of. And it's frightening to me that there that there is still decision making power of that magnitude, um, potentially being granted within the organization right now. And that's wow. which gets to larger questions. But um, no, do I? I don't think I personally. I don't think any of those three guys will wind up coaching the team. Me either. Me either. I, for me. I need. I don't know how you feel about this, but just for me, I want new blood. I want somebody fresh. I, I don't want somebody associated with the New York Knicks brand. I don't want close to Dolan. I, I don't want any of that. I want somebody who's going to come in here and not be friends with anybody. I want somebody who come in here with a business approach, who knows how to talk to the media, just like Fizdale, because that's the one thing I give to Fizdale. He did not to talk to the media, but I, I I just need a coach with a strong mind and just a new like a new offensive system, just something new. But for me personally, my front runner, I would love to have Becky Hammond. I mean, I think I the NBA. I, I, I would ahead. I would I would crawl to San Antonio and and let her ride. I would and then crawl back with her you know, riding on my shoulders. Um, yeah. But again, even her, you know, or, or any, I mean, look, she obviously Spurs organization, obviously well-respected the whole thing. You, mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, if you're asking me who I want to coach the next coach of this team, my answer is whoever Masai Ujiri wants to coach this team, or if we, <laughs> or if we can't get Masai Ujiri, whoever Sam Hinkie wants to coach this team or whoever, um, Sam Presti wants to coach this team yes. or whoever, like literally insert name of inze- executive here who will have full decision-making authority and is not mm-hmm. going to have to sit in a room and, and um, advocate against um, hiring a Mark Jackson or because that's re- listen, we could talk until we're blue in the face about all of the stuff that we just talked about. And I'm not saying all of it doesn't matter, but if they don't get someone in that building who is going to be given complete and total authority to do everything that they want to do. And I'm not just talking about the basketball stuff. I'm talking about bring the people in that they want to bring in, fire the people that Mm -hmm. they want to fire and, and not have to, not have to just I'm not saying don't justify the decisions. Obviously you always report back to your owner, but like they have to be given carte blanche. You know, and, and get look, and if that person decides that that they believe that, you know, um Becky Hammond is the best person for the job or whoever is the best person for the job, I'm all for it. But the coach to me at this point is so is so secondary to getting to getting that person in the room um, who is just going to be able to do what they want to do. And the the very last thing I'll say on this, because I think this has been a little bit of a point of of, of conversation over the last week or so, 
There's been a lot of people who have who have chimed in and been like, Dolan hasn't messed around in basketball for X number of years. And to that, I say, and this is not my point. I'm going to I'm going to steal the point directly from a guy that I no Nick fan wants to ever hear from. But it's it's the correct point. So I'm going to quote him on it um, mm-hmm. is Howard Beck on his own podcast a few days ago with Ian Bagley and his point. And, and while I while I want to make it clear Howard Howard had made it out to be like Dolan was still meddling in basketball and what I'm about to say is not a basketball thing right like there's Mm -hmm. there's 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 directing guys to make like trades or not make trades or coaching hires and then there's other stuff and the what he said and what I'm gonna what I'm gonna agree with is that when you send out your GM and your president of basketball operations to the podium when they have no desire to be there after the 10th game of the season before the final player is even moved from the damn court into the locker room and give that press conference and put all kinds of undue pressure on everybody in the organization and completely, completely cut out the coach's feet from under him. And again, this is not an argument about whether Fizz should or shouldn't be coached, but like, that affects basketball, whether you whether whether anybody wants to admit it or not, that affects what goes on on the floor because it affects the 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 tenor of the locker room. It affects how much accountability is, you know, existing within people who all of a sudden are on very, very shaky ground. You know, even stuff, even stuff as silly as like, um, you know, in, instructing your PR team to either to to send and and people are going to laugh at this but like instructing your PR team to send out a ridiculous tweet and I'm sorry I'm sticking by this point about Richard Jefferson or um oh that was ridiculous. I mean it's just so stupid and and then that, that, that was and then this you know the, the 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 absolute nonsense with the putting out the initial statement about Fisdale and then the second statement about Fisdale Sunday night like is that a basketball decision no, again, not on its face, but guess what? Guess who sees that? Every single player around the league sees that. And those, you know what those guys are? Those guys are basketball players. And they're basketball players who talk. And they might someday consider coming to the Knicks, or they might not someday consider coming to the Knicks. And it's like it all adds up. And it's, it's a, you know, I, I think I forget who first said this, or I don't know, maybe even I came up with it. But it's like, the NBA is like Mean Girls, right? It's like a high school, and yep. it's it, perception is everything. And and as as much as we like to get on him when he said it, when Kevin Durant said the Knicks aren't cool, you know what he was really saying was like they're you know things are kind of a shit show over there. And he said that for yep. for reasons like this. So I, I'm sorry I had to go on this long rant, but it's just I can't <laughs> I, I can't emphasize enough how how important it is to get a person in a position where they can just make all of these decisions where PR is under their umbrella. And, you know, obviously the basketball operations are under their umbrella and the medical staff is under their umbrella and all of these things. Um, And, you know, I, I I hope, I hope that that happens, um, you know, before, before long, and maybe it will. And if it does, then it's a whole different conversation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So that's it for today. Macri, I love talking to you. <laughs> I, 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 wanna, I want you to give me a prediction. Sure. 
So the next time I speak to you, it will be I want it to be next week. Okay. And I want you to give me a prediction of an over and up right now. The Knicks win above twenty five games. For the for the rest of the season or for the that'll be their final total number? For the for for their, their, that would be their final win record for the season. Um I'll go. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to this one too. I'll go right on the number. I'll go 25. Um, I think, I, I think 25 sounds about right. Um, I think I've said I said since the summer. I think they'll get better before they get worse. And um, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, especially if they trade Morris. But I I do think um, I like Miller. Um, I think Miller's a decent coach. Um, I think the guys will continue to, you know, play hard and try. I do think there is yep. something to be said for, um, you know, the guy like Alfred is back. Um, Randall seems to be embracing more of the of a of a role on on offense that is is he is more conducive to team success. Um, yep. you know, so. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go right on the number. Um, I just, you know, there's still a very, very, very small part of me that worries that this team is crazy enough to like go out and make a move to try to help them for this season. Oh, please, God. Um, please. God. No, I know. But listen, <laughs> I, 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 I wish I, I wish I was like. Oh, that's crazy because nothing like that would ever happen here. Except I have eyes and a brain, and I remember things that have happened here. Um, so let's let's hope that's not the case. But anyway, thank you so much for having me on. This is I, I really yes, do sir. love talking to you too. This was a blast. And uh, yeah, no, let's uh, we'll do it again six months from now for sure. Yes, sir. Um, shout out to Mr. Macri. Shout out to the people. I appreciate everybody tuning in. It's your boy Slizzy. Shout out to my special guest, episode 68, State of the New York Knicks podcast. Peace.